Hey guys, it's Alana and you're listening to Seeing Other People Unfiltered. Each Thursday on Unfiltered, I'll be bringing on a different anonymous guest to open up about their real life dating experiences. We'll discuss what they went through or are going through, how they navigated it, what they've learned, and what advice they have to anyone else going through something similar. Unfiltered is your reminder that no matter what you're going through, you're not alone. If you have a topic that you'd like to discuss on Unfiltered, please email your story to seeingotherpeoplepodcast at gmail.com to be considered for an episode. Real people, real stories, real life. This is Seeing Other People Unfiltered. On today's episode of Unfiltered, I sit down with Zoe, a 26-year-old mental health advocate. Zoe opens up about her personal struggles with mental health and an eating disorder. We discuss when and how you should communicate mental illness and past traumas with the date, how to balance being naturally vulnerable without oversharing, and why we think The Bachelor has been promoting unhealthy dating habits and glorifying trauma bonding. This episode may be triggering to those who have sensitivities surrounding eating disorders and suicide. Seeing Other People Unfiltered is presented by Mindset Wellness CBD. If you haven't tried Mindset Wellness CBD or any CBD for that matter, you are missing out. Mindset Wellness CBD's products, all of their gummies are gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO, organic, and they taste incredible. They have helped my anxiety, they've helped me sleep at night, and I couldn't recommend them more highly. Head to MindsetWellnessCBD.com and use code seeing other people at checkout for 10% off and free shipping. And we are in the episode. Welcome to Unfiltered, Zoe. It's so weird to say your name on an Unfiltered episode, but I am so truly excited and grateful that you're here. Welcome. Why don't you introduce yourself and and let the seeing other people in the unfiltered family know who you are and what you're here to talk about? Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored and excited to be here. Like I was so excited to record with you last week and it's just awesome being here. Um so first of all, thank you. Second of all, my name is Zoe. I am 20 oh my god, I almost said 25 years old. I'm 26 years old. I am uh from New Jersey originally, living in Austin, Texas. Useless, but I spent three years in New York City. Um, I have a podcast called Salsa in the City, uh, which I had Alana on uh, last week. And um, yeah, I work. I, I'm very heavily involved in mental health. I have a mental. My podcast is focused on mental health, and I have a career uh, in mental health services. So yeah, that's definitely my niche. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I love that you took mental health, not, not personally in a way where like it was personal. I mean, obviously mental health is a personal thing, but I love how you took your mental health struggles and realized like, okay, I'm not the only one struggling with this. And this is something that I'm so interested in talking about and and talking to more people about, and maybe I can create something that will help other people and, and also help yourself in that too, I'm sure. Um, and I just think that's amazing. And yeah, definitely, definitely you guys go listen to Salas in the City. Um, it's, it's really wonderful. And Zoe's had so many incredible people on and, um, I'm really excited for our conversation today. There are a bunch of things that we're going to cover. This is also the first unfiltered of the new year. And I think you are such an amazing, like perfect guest to start it off because of the things that you've experienced and the things that you've learned throughout your mental health journey. And so, why don't we kind of start with the beginning of your mental health journey and how you first started to experience any type of like mental health struggle in your life and and how it ended up impacting not just like that one aspect of your life. Yeah, definitely. So it's funny, hindsight is so is like 2020, obviously, because I wouldn't have pinpoint a certain 
time in my life where I think it started, except now looking back, I think it's always kind of been a part of me, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think I've ever been, um, I'm forgetting the word. Uh, I think I've always kind of battled in different ways with my mental health, if that makes any sense. Um, yes. But I think kind of coming to terms with some of the more, I guess, common mental health issues um, took place about my, I think it was like my sophomore year of college. Like I'd always, unbeknownst to me, but I'd always struggled with like OCD when I was younger and I was just a very dramatic child. <laughs> like I definitely was a nemesis to my um, parents. Um, but I think, you know, then when I was in high school, I saw my my friends like talking about depression and then I saw f- friends from my boarding school like leave because of an eating disorder, but I had never seen it firsthand I guess if that makes sense it was also something I like couldn't really relate to I just like sat and watched um but then that sophomore year of college was when I first felt like I was really sad and it wasn't just like circumstantially sad um and it, honestly I don't know what really was the like sparked it but I do think it was a, a sadly a, a guy and like um and a relationship or and or a situationship kind of just falling through and you're preaching to the choir oh yeah welcome it, <laughs> we're here we have t-shirts it's ugh, i mean it's and i think it was weird because this guy who really like really mentally destroyed me um he like i spent so much of my time just making sure he was okay and then fast forward to the my sophomore spring, I was like, I'm not okay. Um, so that's when I first went on medication for anxiety and depression. Granted, and this is like <laughs> so emo of me, but I, and also it just shows kind of like where my brain goes. Um, I, I, I knew, like I had researched, I, I think I kind of self-diagnosed in other words. I had watched um, Girl Interrupted and read the book uh, The Bell Jar, where they both in- involve a woman who's battling um, borderline personality disorder, which uh, if anyone knows Pete Davidson, that's what he's actually diagnosed with. So I was like, you know what? Sometimes I'm really happy and, and sometimes I'm sad. Uh, so I think I have that. And so that's what I kind of like told my psychiatrist, which was terrible. I, I completely like made it sound like I had this disease because I didn't want or disease this disorder because I didn't want to be diagnosed or I didn't want to be prescribed um, a medication that's typically prescribed for depression, which is an SSRI because, and this says a lot, but because the side effects included weight gain and lo and behold, uh, that would manifest later in my life. But I really just made sure to perfectly craft, you know, what I was dealing with which was so unhealthy and terrible decision um but you know it it is what it is so that's kind of I think where I first dabbled so to speak with mental health um then for the remainder of my college it I think I had my ups and downs but I, I never really felt as like as close to clinically depressed as I did that sophomore year um I 
slowly started battling an eating disorder, which I think really took off when I studied abroad, which is actually a really common thing. I'm not sure if um, any of your, you know, when you've talked to anyone, you know, it's touch on this, but I, I know a lot of people who, who developed an eating disorder before going abroad because of that fear of being in a country with delicious food and overindulging. Yeah. So it, it was really sad because granted the food in Spain is not my favorite anyway. And I was in Madrid. So it wasn't really like I was missing out on much, but um, that's really, I think where I, my eating disorder really manifested. And then um, it really all came to a head um, in December of 2017 um, where where unfortunately I, I lost a friend to suicide and that flipped my world upside down for the absolute worst and I think that's kind of where my own mental health also spiraled out of control because I couldn't process how someone who I loved and I thought I knew would take his own life and, and be the one to take his own life while I had been struggling with my own mental health. And so much of me was like, why wasn't it me? Like, why did I get, like, why am I still here after having so many ups and downs with depression? And like, why, and, and why did he have to go? So I think that's just kind of where shit hit the fan. Yeah. Well, I'm so sorry that that happened to you and that you had to experience that. And I I can't imagine how many ways it's impacted your life and also to have that happen while you're already struggling with something. I mean, it's, it, it makes sense that it flipped your life upside down. Um, and I, I want to start by saying like, you're, you're here and you have gotten through it. And I know it's something that will still impact your life forever. But I think just to anyone who's listening, who is currently struggling with something or is currently trying to self-diagnose themselves and is, is afraid to admit something to a therapist or is finding out about something so tragic that it's happened. I think look at Zoe as somebody who has gone through this stuff and has, who has made it through and it's called getting through something for a reason because you have to really go through it. And so obviously just finding out about it was the start. So what was it like to then have to go through it? Yeah. Well, first, thank you. Like I, I mean, to be completely honest, like there's, I'm so proud of myself for going through it because it, sucked like it was so bad um I I think it's it's so you know it's so weird too to think back to it because kind of as I mentioned in the beginning that onset of my own depression happened um because of a guy who I was doting on and actually once he he was like not okay. He was he wasn't good mentally when I was seeing him. And there was one time where he locked himself in his room and wouldn't talk to anyone. Uh, wouldn't talk to his roommates. And I was the only one who he would listen to. I like ran and got him insomnia cookies. I like like I did everything for this guy. 
And I think what was one of the things that was so hard when my friend passed away was that I was like, how did I miss the signs? Like, how did I miss the signs when not only had I seen this sort of thing happen with a guy who treated me terribly, but also saw the, you know, it was like, I've dealt with this. Like, why didn't I see it in him? And I think that was one of the hardest things to deal with. And that guilt really stayed with me for so long. Um, and so that, you know, that all for context or a timeline, I lost my friend um, on Christmas Eve of 2017. And then everything just kind of went to like shit. I went back to um, campus in, in that next January and I was a misery to be around. I mean, for good reason, but I think, you know, one thing for anyone listening, if you have a friend who's going through a tragedy, don't encourage them to go out. Don't tell them that going out will make them feel better. Don't, you know, say, oh, let's just get a drink. Get your mind off of it. Like, no, that that does not work. It does the exact opposite. You get way too drunk. <laughs> you start crying in the middle of a Baltimore street and get told to walk home by a homeless man. Like, it's not, <laughs> not great. So I think just... I just couldn't take care of myself because I was so, you know, fixated on what had happened and my friends didn't know what to do, which is totally okay. I mean, it's hard to know what to do or what to say to someone who's gone through such a tragedy. Um, and then I decided right, I mean, right after I, right after uh, my friend passed away, I was trying to figure out what to do with my summer and um, I'd accepted a job that started in the September of the following year. So I basically had a whole summer to do whatever I wanted. And rather than like think through it logically, I said, you know what, I'm just going to move to Greece and work on an island and run away from my problems. That would be amazing. Yep. <laughs> Have a little America Ferrera, sister of the traveling pants type of summer. Exactly. And it honestly could have been that. Like it was sick. Like I was going to this, Greek Island, getting a free stay, going to be paid to literally just sit outside this beach bar and like talk to strangers. Um, and when I got there, I was, I had actually just finished birthright, which was amazing. I actually had a, my mental health was pretty good during birthright. Um, for those who don't know, birthright is, um, a trip to Israel for around 10 days that, if you are Jewish and you have not been to Israel in your like late teens, early twenties time, like it, you get to go for free. Yeah. And it, it's an incredible, incredible experience Highly where you just get to kind of like get, learn more about the ro- like the culture of, of Israel and Jewish religion. And, and yeah. So in case people don't know, <laughs> small plug, but no, it was, that part was amazing. But I think again, it kind of goes back to the studying abroad thing where I was in a, foreign country and I wasn't in a good mental state so um my I I was not eating and we uh, have you done birthright yeah okay so yeah you know how you're like hiking and you're walking so much you're literally on your feet the entire time and I wasn't really eating so I lost a lot of weight during that period and then when I got to Greece the I love Greece and I love Greeks but they go out really late and they stay up really late and then their working hours are bizarre so, and I'm a very, like, I like an early bird. I like to go to bed at 9 p.m. I definitely don't, didn't inherit that part of um, the Greek culture. And so 
I, I, my, the timing was like all off for me. And the thing about an eating disorder is it's all about control. So I was completely out of control. I couldn't control what time I woke up or went to bed or what I ate because all my meals were like cooked for me. And I just became really sick. And at the time I was like, oh, I must have caught a bug. I must have, you know, it must be something wrong. But in the back of my head, I knew it was, it was an eating disorder. Um, and so I was supposed to spend three months on this island working. And after two weeks, I basically had to call my parents and say, I, I need help. They luckily were visiting the island, so they were able to visit me. And they took one look at me, and they were like, we're taking you home. Um, so basically, my, my dream summer came to a, a quick end. And upon returning to the United States, I was like lined up with doctor's appointments. Like I had a – I think I saw every single type of doctor you could ever see in the span of like a month, and it was – not very fun, but I think that whole process was, I mean, it, w- it was terrible. Like, I I'd never in a million years imagined that that's how I'd be spending the summer after my, you know, senior year of college or, like, before I had to start working for the, like, literal rest of my life. And... I had so much anger towards myself and like guilt and I, I couldn't bear it. Like I, there was a moment um, and I remember this so clearly because I think I know it was the lowest moment of my life where I just been told by my psychiatrist that I was going to have to go to an inpatient facility and I, I remember lying on my bed in Murray Hill and just like looking up my ceiling and being like, how did I get here? Like, how did I, I was like, this is, this can't be happening. I was, I kept like closing my eyes and like praying to whatever is up there and being like, please get me out of this. Like, how did I get up here or how did I get here? This, this can't be happening. This can't be happening. Like I kept just going to sleep thinking like, maybe this is a nightmare. It wasn't a nightmare, um, but but I was able to I, – I didn't end up going to the inpatient facility, which I was happy about. I mean, in hindsight, maybe I should have gone, but I think kind of going back to your point of, you know, what it was like going through that, like that was by far in a way the lowest point of my life. And looking back on that now – and seeing just how far I've come is the light at the end of the tunnel that I wish I had. Like for anyone going through something or feel it, like feeling tra- so trapped or like they're in a, a place that they never thought they'd be. What I can tell you is that there is a point sometime in the future where you will look back and maybe not be like grateful that it happened. Like it definitely sucked. There was a lot of things that I like wish didn't happen, but the lessons I learned from those things are invaluable. And I truly do not think that I would be at a job that I love with a podcast that I created by myself. And just in, in this like new world of mental health, if I hadn't gone through all that shit. So 
kind of a long way of saying, like, if you're going through hell, just just keep going and just keep going. And then eventually it'll be a little less shitty. Yeah. Wow. I mean, thank you for, first of all, being so open and, and willing to be so vulnerable. I know when, when we like retell things like that, it's not easy because we're kind of reliving it through our words. And I, I really appreciate how much you were just able to kind of explain it all. Um, and yeah, I love what you just said about like, know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that you are going to get through it. Like you really truly are. And it might not feel like it. And I know I've been at points in my life where I did not feel like it. And it, you end up being just better and stronger for it. And we all are a result of the things that we've gone through and just know that like, if you hang on and and you keep going and keep getting up and getting out of your bed every day, like you are eventually going to get to a place where you can look back and say like, yeah, that sucked, but yeah, I got through it and I am stronger now for it. Um, so I'm curious, go, I want to bring this into dating of course, but I'm curious when you approach dating and when you go on dates and, and get to know people and connect with people how this plays into that. Obviously the first thing that comes to mind is like at some point you do want to or have to communicate about it because it is a part of you. And so I'm wondering, I think two part, like do you, if so, at at what point do you, and then are there certain things that might be triggers for you that if somebody says, or if somebody does that would upset you based on your experience. And then how do you, either let them know like, Hey, by the way, this thing happened. And that thing that you said or did like, doesn't work for me. Um, or do you just kind of close the door and walk away because you know that it's not something that would work. So let's start with my first question, which is at what point do you bring it up with somebody new? Yeah, that's a, I really wish I like knew the right answer and I've definitely, on everything from like wait too long to like just pour it all out on my first date and I'm still trying to find that balance between vulnerability and oversharing oh yes the tale is old as time definitely a, a tough line to walk um yeah well have you like poured it out on the first date oh yeah especially after like two glasses of wine I'm like let me tell you about my first trauma like like it's like that meme. Yeah. You know the meme that's like I'm a very me. I'm a very private person. Also me, like yeah. So like, like, let's start with the little traumas before I get into the real heavy stuff. That's literally yeah. How has that gone when just just honestly like for context, like how has that gone when you have overshared and and poured your heart out about everything on a first date? Probably not well. Like I feel like. Like the moment I'm like thinking, wow, we're really connecting. And then yeah. like, why didn't he text me back? And I'm like, oh, that's why. Because he was like, okay, r- like run away now. <laughs> but it's, I mean, I-, I joke about it, but also sometimes it is, you know, it's it's hard for it not to come up. Like if yeah. I bring up my podcast and they're like, oh, what's your podcast about? And I say, oh, mental health. Oh, why did you choose mental health? I'm like, well, let me tell you. But it's, I'd say, you know, the, the t- like the things I would bring up most often would probably be the, 
the loss I had just because, I mean, even after a couple of glasses of wine, I'm not going to be like, you know, and then I, my psychiatrist told me I had to go to an inpatient <laughs> program. Like, like that, I luckily not just, I've not said on a first date or any date ever. Um, but I think just with the, the loss, like that's such an, that was such a life-changing part of my like oh, just such a life-changing moment for the the worst but it's also kind of made me just it's made me lean toward lean into the career I'm in and 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 create a podcast so it is kind of important for me to bring up and um so it's it's definitely come up and I I I understand that it's probably not something someone wants or expects to hear on a first date and I probably would try not to even bring it up on a first date but at the same time it is you know something that's integral to my background and my story um and so I understand if when you know people kind of like if I if I bring it up the automatic like response is like a regurgitating like I'm so sorry like like right which I understand like things like that are kind of like an awkward subject to walk around. Um, And I understand when people don't have like the perfect quote unquote response, but it is tough. And like, I never really know if someone's going to like judge me for sharing something like that, if that makes sense, even though it sounds ridiculous to say that out loud, but it's something I've definitely been kind of, walking on eggshells in my dating life more recently in terms of talking about my mental health history um, and, you know, the mental health histories of, like, my loved ones and uh, my friends. So it's it's tough, but I think, you know, it at the same time, for example, I lost my friend on Christmas. So this time of year is really tough for me. And I'm in a relationship with someone and I don't explain why this time of year is tough for me. They're going to be like, why is she such an emotional wreck right now? It's the best time of the year. So it's something that I think is necessary, but I definitely think I'm still trying to figure that all out. If that makes sense. Yeah. I, well, I want to talk about how you kind of said, like, usually their response will be like, I'm so sorry. And then regurgitating, like, what happened to you? And obviously, like, that is, I think, the most common response. Hopefully, like, somebody at least acknowledges it and doesn't just, like, go on and and talk about another topic if and when you do share. But I'm wondering, like, what would the ideal response actually be, regardless of, like, what date number it's on? And, like, do you want it to start with, I'm sorry, or... I know we're going to talk about Bachelor and Bachelor Nation yeah. and how they handle this stuff, but I actually do think that Michelle has done a really, really wonderful job at really digesting and, and responding to people when they have opened up to her by saying like, you are so strong and you are so brave for going through that. And like, that's kind of like the first thing that she said, something along those lines. So I'm wondering like in your experiences, what have been like negative or like better or worse reactions? Yeah, no, I first of all, completely agree. Michelle is such a queen and I love her. Um, 
it's interesting. Like, I, I mean, obviously, like the the responses that I don't love are like when people kind of, like, you could see their face get like, oh, I'm so uncomfortable right now, because it's like, okay, well, sorry, <laughs> that's just a part of my life. Um, but I think just making sure someone feels heard is so important and I I think one thing that's really you know interesting that I learned my my senior year um I I had a friend in college and uh she had lost her cousin to to suicide and um, I had organized this out of the darkness walk, which is um, something that raises money for the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. And she was there and we were, we were walking and she was like, so what was he like? And she just asked me, you know, what my friend was like. And I'd never been asked that by a friend, even like my closest roommates, because I think people are afraid to bring, I think people are afraid to ask that, but the thing is, is, and like I, I've heard this from um, people who work at the American Foundation for Suicide and uh, Suicide Prevention and just other organizations. Is like survivors of suicide or people who've lost someone to suicide. They want to talk about their loved ones because it's the only way they're able to keep them alive. And I think it's obviously it's a question that should be asked with care and with caution of like what was she like or what was he like if you're comfortable talking about that but i think it's actually a really it it makes a person feel heard and it makes the person who they lost who've lost they well, who they've lost feel like if it makes them feel like wow I, or it make me feel like wow this person actually cares this person wants to know more about this and it doesn't have to be you know suicide I, like if i mentioned that i lost my grandfather like oh what was he like I think it's you know um do you have any like great stories with him I think people just need to under need to more than just an I'm sorry and like a you know blessings and prayers or whatever people just throw out there they need a convert they if if it's going to be brought up then like let it be part of the conversation if if the person wants it to be if does that make sense like yeah I think that completely makes sense and I think obviously you're bringing it up for a reason you're not just like oh I can't I came on the state to vent like yeah. you're telling them because it's a part of you and I think asking questions is a really wonderful way to respond and I mean yeah it's I think what you mentioned about like, oh, like you're sitting there saying this and you see them being like really uncomfortable. I think that discomfort, like obviously nobody's expecting to hear something like this on a date and especially an early date. So I think you, before you start kind of saying something or, or going that deep into something, I think a good way to decide like, am I being vulnerable and am I opening up for, versus am I oversharing is like, do they do they deserve to know this about me yet? Mm -hmm. Like, do they, have they earned the right to learn this thing that happened to me? And am I telling them because I feel like this is going to make our connection stronger because they're going to feel like they like see me or am I telling them because I 
want to want them to know this part of me. Like you should be telling them because it feels right. And because it feels like something they said or how comfortable they made you feel and the, your communication and the the conversations you're having are getting deep. And it's something that they need to know about you at this point in order to really know who you are versus like, Oh, well, this is something super unique about me. That's going to like make me stand out and like make them think I'm a better person and great for like the shit that I've been through, even though it sucks. But like, look at me now, like really think about the reason why you're telling someone something rather than just say like, Oh, like this is something that's going to make me stand out. Cause I mean, I've done it too. And it's, it's so, Oh, I remember what I wanted to say where it's like, you think that when you're telling this thing, like in your head, it's like, look at us, we're connecting, we're going so deep. And like, that's in our head. That's 100% just in our head. In their head, it's like, oh my God, this person's pouring their entire heart and life out to me. What do I say? What do I do? Like, what do I do with my hands? (laughs) Exactly. It's it like, I, I remember going on a, a run and I was listening to the Brene Brown's uh, Daring Greatly. If anyone hasn't read that, I highly recommend. I can't believe I read it only like a month ago. Um, and she has a whole like couple of chapters on the difference between oversharing and vulnerability. And I literally felt like personally victimized when I was running listening to that because I was like, I am so guilty of oversharing. Like, and what she says is you kind of have to ask yourself questions like, why am I saying this? Am I saying this for my benefit? Like, am I saying this because it feels good for me to just talk about it? And as you said, you know, like, oh, or, you know, makes me unique or, you know, makes me break down a wall on this first date that maybe he'll or she'll connect with. Or am I saying this because it benefits someone aside from me? Like, does it benefit our relationship? Does it benefit is it necessary because of the time of year or because it'll add context to, you know, why I'm behaving a certain way. And that when I heard that from Brene Brown, I was literally like mind blown because I've definitely been guilty of both. And still, again, trying to find that balance between what is oversharing and what is me just exactly as you said, like, wow, we are like getting along so well when like in their head, they could be like, whoa, I am not a therapist. Yeah. The, no, the number of times I've come home from dates and been like, oh my God, that was amazing. And like, all I did the entire time was overshare. And like, I feel good because I talked about myself the whole time. And like, they sat there, but like in reality and like in hindsight, no, yeah, like absolutely not. That's like, not, that's not what dating is. It's also like, like, think about it this way. It's like, you're on a date to get to know them. So like, if you're afraid that you're gonna be like oversharing, or if you know, like you're listening to us, and you're like, Oh, shit, like I've done what Alana and Zoe have done. Like, think about it this way, where like, you're going on a date to get to know them. And yes, you're going to also share sides of you, but, but ask them questions, and then let Mm -hmm. them ask you questions. Like, you don't have to go in with a mission of like, I'm gonna like, pour my heart out or like I'm going to show them all like what's underneath the 10 layers and be like no like let them peel you back like one layer at a time yeah because at the same time I've also been on the receiving end of like tell us saying I have a mental health podcast and being like oh that must mean she's a therapist let me tell you all the trauma I've been built up because I don't see a therapist so and I and I always leave those feeling like well that guy's not getting a text back like whoa right which is a little bit um hypocritical now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's a really good way to think about it. Like regardless of what your thing is that, or what's happened to you in the past that eventually you're going to want to communicate to somebody you're trying to build a relationship with. I think 
come at it from the approach of like, okay, would I want if, if this person, if the roles were reversed and this person had this story or this thing about them, like, would I be ready to hear that? Would I be mm-hmm. ready to, to want to hear that? Like you might not necessarily want to hear these deep personal things about somebody when you're just trying to like get to know them on a lighthearted level and see if like you want to go deeper. So think about it. Like, and, and it might even take like, like going into the date being like, okay, I'm going to really try and like keep things like, yes, I want to get deep, but like, I don't need to go that deep yet. And if I, if I feel myself like about to blurt it out, like go to the bathroom, mm-hmm. take a minute and think to yourself, like, okay, is this the time? Or like, is there something else that we should be talking about to get to know each other before I say this thing? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I'm going to like, I wish yeah. I like was writing notes down. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll be able to listen back to this episode. (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's go back to The Bachelor because I know when you and I saw each other last week, we you had mentioned that like you you mentioned that you were realizing how Bachelor Nation is kind of like glorifying trauma bonding, which I for for those who don't know, do you want to explain what trauma bonding is? Yeah. So basically, what I think of when I think of trauma bonding, and it's funny because I kind of sometimes joke with my friends that we all like trauma bond because we all have you know we're all like very introspective and love talking about like our past and our struggles and but I think in in our context because we actively acknowledge that it's a little more healthy um but it's basically when you relate to someone based on like a shared traumatic experience so as an example, um, for I'll use a bachelor example, um, Katie and Greg, they both unfortunately lost their fathers who were a big part of their lives um, when they were pretty young. And on their first date, they bond over the fact that they both lost these their dads. And whoever anyone who's watched Katie's season can very much see how in love she was with Greg. Like you could just tell that she was so in love with him, but from someone watching it, I was like, is she in love with him or is she in love with the idea of being with someone who has this shared experience that completely shaped her life? Um, Yeah. And as everyone who watched the season knows that relationship ended terribly and just and there was a lot of just you know who knows like manipulation on both sides and the gaslighting comments and whatever but I think that's an, a, very, a really good example of wh- like what it looks like so definitely on The Bachelor like more recently what I've been noticing is it's almost like this competition of who has like the biggest sob story and then and who's ready to share it first yeah exactly and it's 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 so frustrating I don't remember whose season it was it was either I think it was Matt's maybe or Tasha's. sorry love you both but it was like whenever someone wouldn't open up around some about something they'd be like you're just not being vulnerable I need all I'm asking yeah. for you is vulnerability and then someone like um named Ben something who on Tasia season I forget his last name he all of a sudden like opened up about a time he like didn't want to be alive and it was like 
whoa, like this, he had to do that on national television just to, right. sh- just to make it like to get a rose. And like, that's, right. I think so frustrating. And I get so heated about it <laughs> because it's uh, like, it's, I get, it makes better TV, I guess, but at the same time, it's unhealthy for everyone involved. Yeah. Well, it's like, yes, I totally see like the aspect of like it. I mean, it really, it really fucking sucks that in order for these people to form what is considered a legitimate and deep enough connection, they have to pour their hearts out about their deepest, darkest experiences on national television. Mm -hmm. Like that part of it sucks. And like, yes, they're going on a TV show. That's something. And they're trying to end up in an engagement with somebody. Obviously they are going to have to communicate that at some point and yeah, they're on a TV show. So it will have to be public. That sucks. But it, yeah, like you said, like anytime somebody wasn't opening up, it's like, I need to see if they can go deeper. Like I can't, I can't give them a rose and and keep them for the, for like a third week and spend 10 more minutes with them if they don't pour their heart out to me. And it's like, it just sets people up for this false expectation of like, in order to have a connection, you need to have had a traumatic experience happen to you and have to be totally open to share that probably before you're ready. Mm-hmm. And it is really frustrating. And I, I remember like you had said it to me and I was like, oh my God, Jake and I literally were talking about this like two days ago. He brought it up how it's just a competition of who has the bigger sob story and who's been through worse shit. And like when somebody's been through something, like someone was expressing like in tears how much they wish they could introduce her to their grandfather who was like their best friend and the most influential person in their life but he was no longer around it's like it the reaction she did a really wonderful job at like giving that story and that experience as much of her heart as she did to somebody else who had a like experienced suicidal thoughts and and like serious depression and stuff but it's like you could tell like people were like, oh, well, he's just saying like his grandpa died. Like, yeah, so is everyone's grandpa. And like to compare like your grandpa dying to like somebody who almost killed themselves, like that doesn't even like you can't, it's like apples to oranges. It's like, no, that's not how it should be. It's like, and and the thing is, I know people who haven't had things like any of, any of this stuff happen to them yet in their life. And that's not to say that they're not, as deep of people or they're not as deserving of love as everyone else. Like, unfortunately something will happen to them at some point and they deserve to have a partner, a life partner to help them through it. If they are ready for a life partner, you know, like I don't think it'd be possible for somebody to win the bachelor without having a traumatic experience to open up about. Exactly. And it kind of all circles back to, to like what we were talking about earlier of like, if I, went on a date like a first date with someone and the first thing I spoke about was having suicidal thoughts I don't think I get a second date with that person like it's it's almost reversed it's like on the bachelor you're like literally given a prize for sharing these deepest darkest things about yourself but in the real world I don't think you get that same reaction like no I really I don't as in I you wouldn't like 99.9% sure so it is just bizarre and it's definitely you know again I've I've watched so many seasons it's definitely something that's become more and more common I think since like the rise in social media and obviously the bachelor is trying to be more like 
deeper, I guess, or like have more substance, quote unquote, even though everyone needs to be authentic and vulnerable. Yeah. Woo-hoo! It's like, I still watch it because it's trash, but like, I mean, I love it. Yeah. But. I love it. It's just, it almost makes me think, I mean, and I do think that the bachelor in paradise is superior because people actually build connections and yeah. you don't see the conversations they're having. I'm sure that like Joe and Serena talked about, you know, deep stuff and which is why they're engaged and like the cutest little people ever. But we didn't have to like see them forced to talk about that stuff. And exactly. there was no like rose dangling over them. I mean, maybe there was, but like it just, I don't know. So um, what's the guy's name? The the producer of The Bachelor. Um, forgetting his name, but that's just you lost me there. Unfortunately, when I was in college, I my class of like tw- like fifteen people had the Bachelor producers come and sit and give us a pr- like a presentation, like answer our questions. And I had not watched The Bachelor at that point, and I was like, I don't even care to be here, which is so unfortunate because what I would do to be there now is insane. Oh my gosh, I would have <laughs> literally been front row, like glasses on. Ta- oh, yep. uh, Weiss is that Mike? Michael? Mike Weiss? Mike Fleiss, Mike Sounds Fleiss, like- at Mike Fleiss. There we go. Here's my advice. <laughs> that rhymed. But <laughs> just some some context from someone who's been watching since 2010. <laughs> Honestly, it'd be really interesting to see them have a, maybe like between the hometowns, like after after the bachelor, the bachelorette visits one of the contestants' hometowns and before they had the would have the opportunity to meet their family, it would be really amazing for them to bring like a couples therapist in yeah, and for us to see how that goes, where they're actually having a facilitated conversation about how they would be as, as partners, how they actually feel and to like normalize something that would be so helpful for people all around the world, like couples therapy, because that's something that like you don't have to wait for something wrong to happen to go to couples therapy. You can go to couples therapy to figure out if this is a relationship that's going to work or if like how to actually build healthy communication strategies and to support each other when things do end up going wrong because inevitably they will. It's life. And I think something like that would be so empowering and just so much healthier of a way to go about stuff like this. Yeah, because the what like the structure is now is basically going from hometowns to the one night in the entire season and where they can have a conversation without being filmed. Private. Yep. Yeah. And so it's like it, other than that, I mean, I'm reading Hannah Brown's book right now. So it, it gives a lot of insight and it's like, they literally have no time speaking with the lead. So you go from maybe having a, a total of 40 minutes of speaking to the lead to meeting their family to having like a night together and that's it. So yep. I agree petition to bring on a couples therapist. And once I get my license and so my social work degree, I volunteer as tribute. Let's do it. We should just take over. We should be the producers from now on. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, this has been an absolute treat to have you. I love everything we talked about. I, like I said before, I appreciate you being so vulnerable and open. Um, before I let you go, I'm curious what one of like the most important or most impactful lessons you've learned from solace in the city, from your guests, from your experience 
doing this has been? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. I mean, so much. Like, I cannot express how much I've learned from the people I've had on, including you. And, like, just, I think that's, like, my favorite part of podcasting. Um, But I think the most important thing I've learned, and it's not really, like, it wasn't, like, a realization. It was more of, like, an affirmation of just the fact that you really don't know what anyone has gone through or has experienced, which it, which is just in line with my favorite quote of like, you never know, or everyone you meet is going through a battle that you know nothing about. Be kind always. And so being able to talk to people and not know their story and, and going into with that mindset of like, I don't know, I don't know what they've been through, but I'm here to listen has, is something that's I've always stood by and has just been, reaffirmed by the guests I've had on um yeah yeah so that's definitely definitely it I love that and I feel like I try and remind myself of that all the time like even if if I see like you know like I've been in cars with parent my parents where like somebody makes like some someone in front of us does something and like my dad's like oh fucking asshole and I'm like maybe they're having a really bad day Mm -hmm. like maybe they just got like found out that somebody died or somebody asked for a divorce from them or like they're rushing to the hospital like we don't know like we have no idea we're not the only ones with problems and like not I just my dad always calls everyone who does something wrong in the car an asshole um but Yeah, no, I love that. And I think that is so, so true. Well, thank you so, so much again. Where can everybody find you and your podcast and listen to our episode of it? And yeah, all that. Oh, thank you so much. Um, My podcast is Solace and the City, like A-N-D. And it can be found anywhere where you listen to your podcasts. Um, It's at Solace and the City on Instagram. And I am at Zoe Skur, S-C-U-R on Instagram because I shortened it because my last name is way too long. (laughs) How do you pronounce it? Skur Lettuce. Skur Lettuce. Okay. Yeah, I think think that's what I thought in my head. But no one can ever pronounce it. They're like Skurlitis. I'm like, oh, it sounds like a disease. Yeah, it's okay. When when people type Olana, because the default font on computers and phones has an I that looks like an L. People think my name's Lana, Liana, Lena, Lama, um, Lalana, Lalane. Yeah. So I, I get it. I hear you. Well, thank you again. And thank you to everyone who was listening. Don't forget to give a five-star rating and a review. Those help so, so much. And send this episode to a friend. If you think you have someone in your life, a friend, a family member, a coworker, someone you met on the street, someone you met on the subway, someone you met while getting your COVID booster shot, whatever it is, who you think would benefit from listening to this and we will see you on the next unfiltered